Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're going to explore the issue of why VR adoption continues to be the slow but steady pace in schools. So on the show today, we have Justin Kosek. Justin is actually starting a new position as innovation coach in the West Milwaukee School District. So he's been a teacher in that same district for several years. And we have him on the show today to talk about his experience with VR adoption. And even more importantly, especially due to his new position, what his vision is for the future and this amazing tool. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me. I always love to start with a bit of an origin story and what got people interested in this amazing communication medium. So why don't you tell us your origin story about how you got interested in VR for education especially? Absolutely. So uh, my, my uh, interest in VR had kind of always been there. I'm a very tech-minded person. I like kind of taking on new technology for a district and being in a district. I've been in the district for 12 years um, and, you know, starting in the district where we weren't even a one-to-one device when I first started in the district. Um, so getting in those new pieces and figuring out how we can best serve students has always been kind of my goal. Um, when it came to VR, so it was about uh, the end of last school year where my principal came and said, hey, we have this opportunity. Um, our assistant superintendent, Deidre Raymer, had gone out and gotten uh, a grant with Unity and Meta to get some VR headsets. And so she had told me a little bit about it. She didn't know much about it. And she goes, hey, you seem like you'd be the great person to be in charge of this. Go out and learn these new things and see if you could bring it back. And she goes, if we don't have somebody that goes, we don't get to bring this opportunity back to our school. And as such, you kind of get it, right? Because you want teachers who are interested. So um, she asked if I was interested. And I said, absolutely, I'd love to do that, see what it has to offer. So last summer, we got the opportunity to sit down with uh, Kwaku Anning and Liz Nebo from the San Diego uh, Jewish Day School. And they kind of ran some sessions for us so that we were able to um, learn a little bit about the design process and how we can incorporate VR into curriculum and how we can kind of tie that and connect it to student learning uh, for creativity. And so we went through this process. We were online about three hours a day um, for about four weeks, I believe it was. And so we went through the process of not only getting to know uh, how to use the VR headsets, because again, for me, I had never touched one. Uh, even up to last summer, uh, I had heard about the technology, seen reviews of it, so I was excited to get to use it. Uh, and several other colleagues of mine across our district joined as well. And so we started with um, the software Zoe from Zoe Immersive. Um, that was Emily Jolly from uh, Zoe that got us that uh, software for the headsets to create with. And so she was kind of involved, but it was more light on her end because she wanted to see how uh, schools would use it to be creative. That was kind of her mission with it. So she was on to help handle any issues we had with that. So we really just dove into this work of like, how could we connect it with uh, our students and our curriculum? So the challenge was for each of us to go through and think about 
what we could use it for. And so I reached out to some of my colleagues at my school and originally they're like, Hey, like just give it a whirl and see what you can bring back for us and see if it'd be fun. And so through the training, then we kind of were like, all right, this is ready to go. We're ready to implement. Um, we were told initially that we were going to get the headsets um, in the fall, late fall. And so we didn't end up getting them until March. So that was a bit of an issue with that. Um, just getting the hardware in and updated to the school systems connected with Wi-Fi and all, all of the above before it really got sent out. And it was hard because originally the grant was for 100 headsets to get through our IT department and set up and ready to go. Uh, it took a little bit longer than we had estimated. So it wasn't actually until March that I ended up getting the headsets. So that's kind of the origin story of how I ended up getting them. And what I like about that story, which makes it fairly atypical, is you had a leader in your school who wasn't bogged down on, you know, the age old question. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to embark on this uh, technological tool until I can see like the research studies and I need to be confident on the return on investment. She seemed really open to, you know, the other side of the coin, which I think has merit. And that is, let's just get these cool tools in and we will, like you said, sort out how we want to use them. How, how, does, how do you feel about those two approaches? Like, you know, some, some are way too cautious and some kind of like uh, maybe you and other early adopters are like, yeah, we'll, we'll, there's efficacy there. We just need some time. Let's just push the button. Let's do it and we'll figure out how to use it. Yeah, I mean, the two approaches, I, I think for us, I was really happy that they made the decision to try to do something like this. Um, I do see VR as an outlet for creativity for the future. And I do, obviously, having this conversation with you, think it has staying power in the classroom. Um, and, and it is a creative outlet for students that we have not seen and not even tapped into its full potential yet as it continues to evolve. And so having the approach where it's something like, let's try it and see where we go with it. I think the grant helped because the grant got us a minimal amount of headsets to see like, hey, teachers are busy. Who's going to take this on? Uh, something that you don't know, have to learn, manipulate, fight with a little bit and really try to update your own pedagogy and how you're going to incorporate it in the classroom. And, you know, again, we only had a handful of teachers, usually roughly one for each school, because the initial message went from our superintendent down to the principals. Hey, give me somebody who might be great with us in the schools. And some principals were like, I don't know if we have somebody who'd be ready for that right now. And so across our several schools, I don't know if everybody had a representative truthfully because of that. And so I am very glad, though, that they took the chance because, again, the results that I saw were so worth it. And so I hope several others out there would keep that open mind when it comes to VR. I want to talk about how I connected with you in the first place. So uh, on LinkedIn, uh, a company here in Canada who does like weekly news updates, uh, Expert VR had on their weekly news an article about you. And the article talked about uh, you working on a project with VR as a tool to help grade six students learn a bit more about the water cycle. Tell us a bit more about that. Cause I know you also w went to ISTE and I suspect, you know, you presented a bit in uh, at ISTE about this very topic. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned before, when we got the headsets in was like March ish time. So it helped, 
it helped. And I guess it wasn't necessarily a direct thought with it, but uh, I was limited on what options I had if I wanted to give it a go during the school year. And I didn't want to wait a whole nother school year um, to get it going, especially with the training I had in the summer. So when I got the headsets, I reached out to one of our trainers, Kwaku, and I said, hey, I've got them now. I need to get something going. So him and I sat down, we talked about what was coming up. And so I actually, this last year, was teaching a class called World Humanities, which was reading, writing, and social studies combined in a three-hour block. And I also picked up an extra section of science because we had an overflow. And so we were talking, he goes, tell me what's coming up. And I shared some things. He goes, you know what? Let's talk about the water cycle. And he, because he, he has, he framed it in my mind. And I actually thought it was funny because I ended up making this joke at ISTE. He goes, what's one of the subjects you think that students could really use a creative outlet for? And I had made the joke when I was talking at ISTE, I said, the water cycle is a very dry subject. And I really didn't think of that as a joke, but apparently everybody else did <laughs> because I do think it is that way, but the dry and the water. So, um, but it's one of those things that when you teach the water cycle, it seems very much a teacher led piece and that you tell students about the stages of the water cycle. They might watch a video on it. If you're tying in a creative portion, it's back to the old standards that we've had, you know, trifold board uh, or PowerPoint slides or Google slides, some variation of that. Uh, or maybe you had some sort of like just a simple piece of paper that it's like cut out and label, uh, you know, some ways that students are now the it's a content I think that they need and to understand, but it's a content that I feel like hits only very surface level uh, of their knowledge. And it's probably one of those things that unfortunately students forget. So we targeted that. And so through that process, when targeting that, so he and I talked and he's like, well, what's your hook going to be? Because you can't just go and be like, guys, we use VR and the water cycle because kids are still going to be like, not it. And so we talked about it. He goes, what do your kids like? And so I talked about you know, my, my students, I mean, maybe like several students, especially middle school students, they love video games. They love clothing, does, designer things like shoes. They love the Jordans and everything. Uh, so we were talking and he goes, you know what, try something with a video game. See if what you can approach. And so I came up with the idea that students were going to be creating a best-selling educational video game. So the topic was when we started talking about it, students were thinking about what makes a best-selling video game. And it was really connected to them because they all had some video game in their mind that they're like, this is a great game. Well, why do you like it? Because this, this, and this. And we came up with this long list and we said, well, what makes a game an educational game? And they came up with a list. And then we discussed where they met. And so then that kind of got them connected to this idea. And I told them, I kind of build up a little background too with them about, well, if you were ever approached by somebody to design this, they're going to get your idea and they're going to want to see how you incorporate it, right? And several of you are going to be pitching your ideas to me to see which one's the best. And maybe I'll sink my time and effort or money into to make it as a designer game. So think about what you want to do, make it your own. One of the parts that was interesting with this process is I never taught them anything about the water cycle. I told them, actually, when I went through, I had cards that I gave to the kids and I said, you're going to pick a topic and they picked the topic and they were with the water cycle and everybody had the same topic. It didn't matter. It just was a fun way to have them think that it was unique. And so they all went through with a partner and they had to storyboard what they envisioned for this video game. They had to develop a, what's called a user experience where they had to think about what was what is the user's background? What do they want to achieve? And what will they see in the end of this? 
And then, of course, like I said, connecting all of that back to the storyboard. Once they had the content, so they had to do some research on their own about what the water cycle was and how to include it and their storyboard, then they got to create. So they didn't even, so, and I never, again, taught anything about the water cycle and I never taught anything about um, the program, the software Zoe that we were using. I let them kind of lead their own way and I was just there to kind of support if they had questions, they got stuck um, to facilitate that learning. And so it ended up going through where when we got through this process, it was not only did they create something that was super individual and they had so much ownership over it, it was this piece that they created that they were really proud of. And as an educator, you go through and you're like, you know, you've had kids who sometimes would say, I'm proud of this work. But again, um, the level I was seeing, like they were so happy. They were talking about it with others. They were talking about it outside the room. I had family members contact me and we're talking about like, hey, my son or daughter said this and that, that they're working on this. Like, tell me about that, where I didn't get that kind of family engagement. Um, I had students collaborating and problem solving together. Um, some of the best things I had happen, truthfully, was um, when they're going through and designing, I had one of my students that had to go through and they were creating a, a dungeon as part of their game. And the assets in the program didn't have like a dungeon scene. There was no, there was no way to create that. So when their initial design was there, they had to use regular walls. That was an asset. So it looked like a white wall in your house. And they're like, how can we make bars for this? And they, there was no bars for the say, the uh, dungeon cell. And so they used chopsticks and they expanded them and put them in place. But the, the problem solving that when they hit and they're like, I need this, how can I make that? That was all just included. And they were having fun thinking about it. And then when it comes to the things like the interactions, how do I make this door open? How do I make this asset move? Like, again, where I thought I would have to be doing this, I might have to do a lesson a day to show them. I had kids figure it out quickly on their own, not only a, like quickly, but as an adult doing VR, it took me several weeks to be like, I got this. And I still probably don't have it, but I was doing all right. Where these kids, sixth grade kids, were getting this within a day. And we're creating more complex levels of interactions than I could even imagine. How'd you do that? And then my curiosity was up because I'm like, show me what you just did because that's really cool. And then when a kid wouldn't get it, another kid would come shooting over and be like, I know how to do it. Let me show you how. And they're like teaching each other and there's problem solving and communicating. It was just absolutely phenomenal to see the work that they were doing in this process. So uh, and I mean, I knew I kind of derailed there from your original question, but yeah, it was this idea with coming up with this and kind of the process that we went through that it was not only did they learn the content truthfully of the water cycle, and I feel like at a deeper level because they had to learn it not only on their own, but they had to integrate it in a way that made sense for their game. So it was a deeper level of understanding and they had more voice and choice in their creativity with what they had to do. And their ownership of it was there. So I really, truly think it was just an amazing process. And that's what I ended up sharing at ISTE was that, was this process. Was it full of some issues? Absolutely. And it wasn't um, student-based. It wasn't anything with me. It was IT-based. There was some things that we had with the setup connecting with casting. Um, we, ha we have Chromebooks in my school for students. And originally, we had read that you can cast from the Oculus to the Chromebook. That didn't work right away, so that was an issue because I only had 15 headsets, 
and the 15 headsets that I had. So I had students partner up. And the idea was um, because Oculus before they just recently announced that now it says 10 and up can use the Oculus. Um, and so we were a little concerned because about the amount of time. So we said we were going to stick firm to a, a time limit for per student per day. And so we said 15 minutes. So the goal was we have a 43 minute class with my science. So it was five minutes set up, 15 minutes for partner A, 15 minutes for partner B with the headset on and then clean up. And that would keep that to a minimal. And so going through this again, I think ultimately what I would say with the whole process, it was just, it was, again, amazing outcomes, totally worth it. It was so exciting to see what they were doing. And the other thing that you had the courage to do that I think still many teachers out there around the world need to wrap their head around is the trust that they were going to learn something. I think educators, unfortunately, thanks to standardized testing regimes in many states as well as other countries, don't trust what just happened to you, which was you telling me, you know what, Craig, I'm going to leave it as this open-ended project. They're going to be there. There'll be some guardrails and some parameters, but I'm going to let them discover the content through the creation process. And you, you trusted that. Whereas other educators are like, okay, I have to teach the water cycle. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to didactically stand up on my podium and I'm going to deliver it to them. I'll know for sure. And I can trust that I at least gave it to them. You know, it'll be up to them to decide whether they can spit it back to me. And that paradigm, you know, is so hard for the traditional teacher to let go of, you know, and not only that, but you said, you know what, Craig, I teach this block where, you know, I have, you know, um, literature and other subjects, and then I have a science block. But really what you're having these kids do because they're creating storyboards, you know, I'm reading a book right now called Immersive Storytelling for Virtual Worlds. And in it, it talks about what your kids had to go through, which was, you know, they're, they're basically creating an immersive story. They have to consider, you know, who's the protagonist. They have to consider within their video game, you know, who, who's the hero. And all that is mixed into this amazing science project. And so, you know, so much that you just told me, you know, uh, resonates with how educators need to learn to just let go a little bit and trust in this more open-ended discovery approach to learning. You know, and the other thing that I want, I want you to give us feedback on is I think originally in the article I read, uh, you did it, as you alluded to, to improve student engagement. However, there are going to be pundits out there that sort of tell us that, okay, VR you know, is this exciting new medium, it's a shiny new toy, you know, sure, it's going to motivate kids for a little while, but that will wear off. What do you feel about that and the pundits that say that VR is going to lose its staying power, its novelty effects going to wear off, etc.? Well, you know, I mean, we do all go out and get the new cell phone when they tell us that the new cell phones come out and technology is always going to evolve. And that's absolutely true. And so 
I was reading a lot, uh, you know, I do read some of those pundits out there that say that, you know, this is just a shiny new thing. It's already a high cost for schools to incur to get this into the room. And it's just the shiny new toy that might right now drum up some engagement because students get to interact with it. The hard part that I truly believe is we don't have a tool that allows that level of creativity inside the classroom on a regular basis. The level of creativity that I saw students get to do, and not only the that level of creativity, but the other little pieces, as I mentioned, I originally approached this with the thought of you're going to teach, I'm going to use it to see if you can show me and demonstrate learning of the water cycle. That was my only outcome. When I ended up going through and I'm watching other outcomes come from this, where I did see higher student engagement, I saw more of my students come to class regularly. They were excited to come in. They knew what we were working on and they wanted to have that creativity to show me what they can make and make it in such a way that it demonstrates their learning. That was a small part. They didn't even like think about it as much as a requirement for why they were using it, but they were doing that. And going through the process. And then again, as I mentioned, the the problem solving, the collaboration, the communication, the fact that these kids went through and developed something that they went through and then presented and defended to other students. Like, this is why I made this. And these are the things that you see, and this is why. And then there's my content tied in and other students were floored seeing what other students created within this immersive world with VR. And again, Of course, is there a little part of that that is also that it's new? Absolutely. But I don't think that the other benefits that come with it are just because it's the shiny and new. I think that's what's going to hold and have staying power is, again, that creativity. Because, I mean, we can create with uh, uh, like PowerPoint again, and as I mentioned, like uh, Google Slides. And I mean, I feel like I've, as an educator, I'm not going to lie, going through a lot of projects in the past, you would say, well, hey, you know, you could always make a Google Slides and or like a diorama or that trifold board. And like how long have those been out there? Students still use them and will create. And some of my students would probably avoid VR entirely because they might have that same fear like some educators do of something different and unknown. Thankfully, again, with my students, none of them saw that as a challenge. Um, I did have the minor piece um, I'll bring up too, which is obviously... Um, some people could say that, hey, you wear the VR, you can get nauseous. Um, out of my class of about 20 students, I only had two students report any sort of effects with that. And so I literally remedied that by coming up in time to them say, hey, with your partner, instead of doing 15 and 15, do you think you can do five and five and just keep switching every five? And they're like, oh, I think that would work. And so they started doing that and that worked and it helped them. And then by the end of our three weeks, it was about three and a half weeks in total that we were on it, um, they ended up being able to do almost the full 15 minutes versus the five. So it was just something that was different and they needed to get used to. So, I mean, another minor challenge and it's going to happen. But again, I still think that this is not some shiny new toy that's going to wear off over time. I think the creativity and for being an educator, too. The the big difference, too, is a lot of people I know, some of my colleagues asked, how much time did this take you to prepare? And I said, I prepared in the front. And I said, but at the end, or actually during a bulk of these time that we spend on this, I was the facilitator that they came in the room. I even joked about the fact I told people at ISTE this, too, that I felt like I took attendance, opened a cabinet to let them get the materials, and then I'm walking around just being amazed by what they're doing. 
And then, oh, the bell's here, time to go. And so it made a 43-minute class feel like a breeze. And when I told some other educators that at my school, they were excited, like, well, how can I do that too? So that's nice. And we do have those that still are kind of on the fence, but I think I'm, it's changing some minds. And it's changed mine too, because I didn't know what the outcomes would be. Yeah, that's a great transition to another question I have for you. So with your new position in the district as innovation coach, you're going to be working with groups of teachers, I suspect, within the district, and you're going to support them and help them decide how they can integrate the right technological tool for whatever they're working on. So in these conversations, you know, give me a scenario that you might suggest VR as a possibility for a teacher or you know, are the headsets right now just at one school or do you have a vision of trying to roll out more headsets to other schools to, to make them part of the curriculum? Tell me more about that. So, I mean, we still have our, we uh, actually ended up buying 20 more headsets for the districts. We have 120 now. Um, the sets that we have out are sets of 15 with all the materials with them. Um, through our process, we ended up discovering the casting piece we needed. Uh, we used iPads that worked best with our district for casting through using the Meta app. And yep. so that worked out the best. So that was another issue. So having a set really means having the 15 and 15 to use it for classes up to 30. And so ultimately, I think that when we're using those, what my plan would be is to get more educators, again, come back now with the knowledge that I have after using it. And I've only used it, again, one time on one specific lesson, but the outcomes I saw were fantastic. And so I want to go through and really share that with some others that are were still hesitant. I mean, I know within my own building, I was talking with my principal just the uh, about a week ago about this, thinking about the vision of what the future will be with this innovation role. And so I had mentioned that I said, I think in the start of the school year, I really want staff to come up with their idea of what are some dream lessons that you would like to try to cover? And because when I told, it's similar to kind of what I shared with students. I said, I want you to think of everything you could possibly put in our your game. And then don't be, I didn't want them to be limited by what the asset had. I wanted them to be able to use their imagination and say, I need this. This is how I want to tackle it. I feel like that same approach will work well with staff. I want to know what you want to do. I want to know the best things that you think you can bring to kids. And then let's tackle together how we can actually make that happen. And I think um, that approach, again, we're going to hit those hesitant educators that, you know, they're stuck on the tried and true. This is the lessons I've been teaching for years. And I get that. I understand. And part of me was very hesitant in my mind, too. And it is, as you mentioned before, Craig, it was that it's hard for an educator to let go of that traditional model. Like, I'm going to teach you this and you're going to then in some way reproduce, regurgitate or show me that you understood that content. And but how true does that stay? Does it really last? If I asked them six months from now about whatever content, are they going to re be able to retell me that? And so ultimately, my goal for this, for the district, again, is to get those dreams and try to tie it in with VR in a way that makes it sense. One of the things that after I finished the water cycle, we only had a little bit left because it was, again, near the end of the school year. Um, I was thinking about other subject areas. And since I was teaching a reading and writing uh, group, we were doing at the end of the year, we did tone and mood. 
And right away I was thinking about like, how could I incorporate tone and mood? And I thought, how cool would it be if I showed them an image and like one example and be like, how does this image look and have like a different created image that shows a different tone of mood, you know, like a regular house versus like a creepy house, you know, same house with what elements make it different and then give them a scenario where like, show me something you create that shows two different, entirely different tones and moods within VR and let them be creative and showing how they can make that. Uh, I think would just be just a fun way to see that um, and get them engaged on that a little bit deeper than that surface level of like, hey, you recognize that these are different. Why? Uh, I think having that creativity in there that they have to make it definitely demonstrates that they're going to have a little bit more knowledge about what that takes. So I feel like it does apply to several content areas. And I do feel like uh, getting it out there is going to be, I think for me, because I feel like I'm more passionate about it because I saw what it did and that blew me away. And so now I'm more passionate to promote it with other educators. Yeah. And I mean, you seem to gravitate toward using it for creation, which is, you know, you unpacked some of the, the approaches to learning skills, as well as the fact that, you know, it led to, in your opinion, deeper thinking and learning. But let's talk more about using VR or virtual worlds as a tool simply just to try and unlock the understanding needed. So Educators, again, we talk a lot about traditional education. Worksheets have been such a staple for many teachers as a way to get students, once the content has been taught, to practice it, to think about it, to ruminate on it. However, <laughs> worksheets have no context, whereas you, know, you, you put someone in a virtual world, usually that environment creates this context towards the learning. And the other thing that a worksheet unfortunately does that causes criticism is it's not very interactive. So to what extent could we just use VR maybe to, to fix these two things that the traditional worksheet falls short? Any ideas there? Because I've been thinking about this, you know, like we have to meet the traditional educator partway, I think. You know, mm -hmm. some of us out there are risk takers and we're, like I talked about, able to sort of let go and be more progressive. But some educators who are way more traditional have been doing things for so many years, we need to give them like a, a baby step. And maybe that baby step is some sort of something close. I almost want to call it the immersive worksheet in a way. And mm -hmm. I just wanted sort of you know, you to sort of ruminate or talk to me about your feelings on this. So it was actually, um, it's something that I had definitely thought about, like, because they're, you're right, worksheets uh, for a lot of teachers have a place. And usually that's some form of formative assessment. Like I gave you this information, where are you at with it at this moment in time? And so I get that because there are some lessons, I think that it's still going to have to be a little bit teacher led, especially if students have zero context. Um, so what I was thinking about was, and it actually happened to be, so at ISTE, we did, um, minus our regular talk where my, uh, other people from my district talked about the process for us. Um, I got to meet some others from across different parts of the country and even across the globe 
came together that were talking about ways that they used the same program, the Zoe Immersive, the Zoe software. And so one of the gentlemen was from the University of Lancaster in the UK, and he taught criminology. And so this is what got me kind of thinking about this a different way. So how I used Zoe as a creative tool, right? So students would get the idea and they had to develop something on their own, entirely created from scratch. The way that he ended up using it, so he teaches criminology, so he was working with these students, and he had created um, a virtual crime scene. And so he took police files and recreated that scene for his students in VR um, to the best of his ability. And the goal was then, so he started his lecture talking about this scene. He had one student put on the headset, and he is lecturing to the group. So the process of the things he already taught them was about like evidence collection, what are some key like things to look for and, you know, take away from a crime scene. So he let one student kind of be that guinea pig, if you will, but everybody else got this kind of like level of understanding as they were working within that because they were trying to see what they could see without, because when do you get to take a student into an actual crime scene? Never. And so now you're getting this on, uh, on-demand on response to that not being available to now. You can have these people look at, this, is, this was a real crime scene recreated from a file that we got from our local authorities without names attached so we could have you learn. What are the things you can collect? And I was floored because, again, this was not a way that I had thought about this. I thought simply about student creation. And so thinking about this formative level, he was able to check for the understanding that his students are doing through their lectures and pieces, like, what's the first thing you should do when you enter the scene? What do you notice? Like, and they're talking about this out loud. So it became this grand discussion, if you will, but for a purpose. And so again, it gets rid of that thought that sometimes worksheets are just a practice and sometimes students don't get it. I think something like this could truly have that kind of, that's another reason why I think it has staying power because the adaptability that has was a whole side I never thought of. Um, There were also two other gentlemen that were presenting. um, They teach uh, high school science, and they had created a a VR science lab. So the students could interact with chemicals that they maybe didn't have because of budget constraints. They had um, where they did lab safety. And, you know, I know from doing science this year, you have to talk about lab safety. um, And usually you talk about it without getting in a lab. So they had things set up where it was talking about lab safety. They had a part of it that was talking about these chemical interactions and it was a VR lab. So the students got to experience this uh, on a formative level where maybe that interaction wouldn't have been able to happen prior to this. Um, So bringing that piece to their students more equitably and able to get that where they can function and do those things. Uh, and I think that's where we're going to see VR start to take place in, in some of those other ways that are like that formative level of instruction. Yeah, I was lucky enough uh, to get headsets at the school I'm at right now. And we have uh, a class set, which uh, at our school is 25. And uh, one of our teachers approached me and said, you know, I'd like to bring the kids to the VR lab you know, uh, kind of like what Kwaku does. I, I do some side work working with teachers on on this sort of thing. And she was doing a novel study and she was about to start the novel, but she said like, you know, how could we maybe use VR? And uh, 
at the end of the day, she didn't want like you to quite take the leap into her students doing the creation, like creating a chapter within the book. So I sort of helped her with a baby step. And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll give the novel a quick read and maybe we can have like, a, you know, you talk about a hook, a hook where they have to come into a VR world that I quickly build. And then they have to explore some of the, you know, the environments and settings and scenes and sort of see a preliminary approach to some of the characters. And I didn't build it in Unity. I actually, uh, I've, I've tried using uh, Unity and Unreal Engine. I find that it, the time it takes to make things in completely interactive is more than what I can give as an educator. But I built it in a, a platform called Engage VR, which is low code, no code. You can kind of like Zoe, you can drag and drop some 3D assets in there and arrange them and you can do some, some minor interactivity. And you know, it maybe took me eight hours, but I built out this scene and the students had to go in and they would look at like a certain scene and it would have like chapter, whatever. And it, they had to interact, they had to push a button and something happened or they had to answer a question. And we surveyed the kids, uh, you know, after they tried that and then they did the unit. And a lot of the, the open-ended remarks was it really helped me get more excited about the book it really helped me get like a, you know, almost like when we give students um, a pretest before they embark on the unit, it gave the teacher some things to talk about as they went through the book because they could allude back to the VR experience that we had in the first place. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm mindful of time. So I, I have a couple sort of wrap up questions before we sort of head off. Um, oh, yeah. There's several barriers for educators when it comes to using VR for immersive learning. You know, hardware is starting to progress and everyone's excited about the new Quest 3 because it's going to be lighter, supposedly faster. What do you think, having gone through this once now and also talking to people at ISTE, what do you think is the biggest barrier towards greater adoption in schools? Is it is it hardware or do you think it's content or we talked about maybe our, we have to change our pedagogy, you know, for you, if you had to sort of hang your hat on, I know this is going to be hard, but one thing, what do you think is keeping education from not adopting this tool uh, more, more wholeheartedly? The first, I mean, it is the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind because I think if it wasn't without this grant that we got, was would be access to. And I know that is a financial burden for a district. So thinking of getting the hardware, the software and having it set up and you coming and approaching that and you don't have educators that you know can handle it. I totally get that. I talked with several administrators at ISTE when we were talking about it and they said, you know, we don't have any VR in our district. Our district is 4,000 kids or district's 8,000 kids. Uh, or even bigger, I spoke with an administrator for uh, New York, one of the inner um, boroughs in New York, and they have lots more kids. And the same thing, the same question comes up, like, we don't have this. How how many should we get? And I'm like, I told them, I said, truthfully, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be going out there and buying a one-to-one. I said, obviously, we have a set of 15 for my school. And this next year, our school is going to be going up to 500 kids. And I still think 15 right now might be where we're at. And ultimately, I think 
getting it's it's combined getting that technology in the hands of educators but having an educator that discovers the need and the use for it is key um we went through the process of having 20 educators come to the start of this and due to timings with you know the end of the year and when things started to come out several educators didn't get a chance to try to use it and manipulate it but i loved the idea that we used that small group to start so that initial set of 20 um, so they each have their sets of headsets to try to take back in their school and be that leader, show how it's done, try it for themselves, get some knowledge, and then promote with others. I think that is key. And I think that's going to be key anywhere VR is going to go is having someone that can implement it in a way that makes sense. Because there is the part where we have educators, again, that are going to not see it as a tool to help, um, just as a tool that takes time. And so I think when they see a way that works, and they see someone else using it, it can slowly start to change minds. I just don't think it's going to be that quick, here here we are, take your class set and go, because I think technology is going to sit on a shelf, and a lot of people will think it's not worth the time and money. So I think small steps will change minds. Mm. Justin, anything left unsaid that maybe you think you wanted to talk about today before we wrap up? Um, One thing that I wanted to share a little bit about And it's one of the plans that I'm going to try to do using VR this next year. And I'm sure it's an issue that a lot of people are seeing in schools is coming with social emotional learning in schools. And it is a place where I think I'm going to try to wrap my head around this next year of how VR can help. Um, I read an article recently that says VR in the same kind of commonplace with other social media things are still bringing about the cases of students with depression and anxiety And so how can we use that to help as a tool um, for students? And I think that's a big piece. It was funny because at ISTE, I heard that brought up a lot, not necessarily negatives, just how as educators, you know, the conference will have 18,000 educators and administrators. How are we helping students' social emotional learning and their social emotional needs? And it's a huge issue. Um, It affected my students this last year. It's affecting all the students I see. We're having students that when they are coming to school and if they come to school, because attendance for my school is not so great, um, their um, attending in school and learning in school is not in their top 10 needs. And so that's where we're seeing this drop in attendance. How are we supporting these students? I, and I'm aiming at trying to think about how I can use VR that way. I'm going to look to other educators for that too. Um, but I think that's just one thing I want to bring out, at least to everyone, is to try start wrapping their head around it because it's the next big challenge I think we face in education is social-emotional learning for our students because it's becoming a more prevalent issue every day. And mm. so just throwing that out there for I want others to start thinking about, share with me. <laughs> I'd love to hear ideas too. But uh, I want to be able to support all of our students' needs. So, Yeah, it's such an important topic. You know, it made me think about, uh, I started exploring VR in 2016. And so there was no standalone headsets yet. These were the only headsets available were ones that you had to connect with a wire to uh, a high-powered computer, like a gaming laptop. But uh, one... uh, really creative gentleman in the more so in the VR gaming space is a gentleman called Lucas Rosado. And Lucas Rosado was a kid who was bullied growing up. Uh, And so he made this experience called Where Thoughts Go. 
it's not available on the standalone headsets like the uh, Oculus Quest 2. It's only available on the Steam store, which then is played through the wired headsets. But it was so brilliant. His This experience was basically he would pose a, you know, a thought-provoking question around the issue of bullying, and there would be there would be already curated uh, answers in these bubbles that you could pop and listen to a student's response to this thought-provoking question about being bullied. And he spent the time and money to ensure that everything that was a thought bubble that had audio was well curated. So there was, you know, nothing inappropriate in there, but, you know, popping the bubble and listening to other people's thoughts and responses to these questions and also feeling like what you're saying was anonymous was so powerful. And the medium that he wrapped it in was sort of this kind of tranquil scene and setting. And that's one of the best ones I've seen that sadly, I'm not sure why it hasn't made its way to the standalone. And then the other thing that struck me when I was hearing you say this is just with chat GPT, there are some companies now starting to run avatars that are chat GPT uh, enabled. So you can have conversations with them. And again, there's a danger, obviously, that it'll say something that isn't appropriate. So, you know, a school has to be very mindful of that, but maybe there's some potential there. But uh, I totally agree with you that social emotional learning it could be a, a way to, to sort of help students in this. Anyway, how can people get a hold of you uh, if they want to learn more about your journey as you start to roll out VR in your district or just to hear some of the, you, t you know, we didn't have time to talk about all the trials and tribulations and challenges, but maybe they have questions that they want to pose to you. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I am on LinkedIn, so you can just look up Justin Kosick on LinkedIn, and uh, I do respond pretty quickly through there. You can also uh, email me at my district, and I will gladly answer emails uh, even through the summer. I'm one of those people that does that. <laughs> Not many educators do, but uh, it's uh, K-O-S-E-K-J at W-A-W-M-S-D dot org. So Justin, or Kosek J at West Alice, West Milwaukee School District dot org. So WAWMSD.org. Amazing. Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's so great to get educators who are in the trenches and their perspectives on this uh, new medium. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you again for having me.